0: listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Thank you, Luke. As he mentioned, the Lewis's, Mark Lewis will be our Uh, speaker at our missions conference October the 2nd that's on a Sunday night we'll have uh, booths set up and hopefully some other visiting missionaries there if the Lord works that out and so um, let me encourage you to set that aside on your calendar October the 2nd Um, the last time we did it last year uh, it was uh, one of the highlights of um, our uh, history as a church a great gathering of the saints and a great time of encouragement um, as we heard from Um, Travis and the the ministry that's going on there in in, in Sekinani. Also uh, don't forget um, that this Saturday uh, will be uh, Georgette's um, memorial service. It'll be right here at two o'clock. Visitation will be from one to two and the service will be at two. So let me encourage you to just set aside some time on Saturday for us to come and remember this sister who has gone to be uh, with the Lord. And then there's a card on your seat. Uh, we put that there for you to share um, with other people about what's going on. A lot of people are curious about what the Bible has to say. And it's interesting that we get the opportunity to look at this book of Daniel. And the first half of it is the, this narrative about what literally happened to a people in exile. But the second half is prophetic, and there's a lot of curiosity and a lot of questions and I'll just go ahead and give you a preview of that I probably won't answer them okay I probably won't resolve your curiosity about the prophetic sections that are there in Daniel there are so many different opinions So pick up uh, the card and also we have some cool t-shirts in the bookstore as well. Some of you are asking about that. And then we have the Daniel study guide. You can kind of follow along. You can take notes. You can write questions as you look ahead to the next week. Next week we're in Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 to 30. But this morning we're in Daniel chapter 1 and we're going to begin in verse number 8. But before we go to verse number 8, I want to just try to go back and recapture what we looked at last week ever so briefly in verses one to seven, we said four things last week. Number one, God always responds to sin even when it seems like we're getting away with it. The, the people of God are in exile because of their sin, because of their separation from God. Secondly, God is always in, in control, even when it seems like he is in everything that Nebuchadnezzar did and everything that happened in Daniel's life, from going to the lion's den to the, the, these three gentlemen that went into the fiery furnace, they were all orchestrated by almighty God. God is in control. Number three, the spirit of Babylon is always with us. We see all that was going on in Babylon, all the intricate plans to take these exiles in to amalgamate them, to reorient them, to re-engineer them, to make them into a completely different people so that they, as an entire race, would forget where they came from. That was the objective of the Babylonians. Satan is always working to, to make us into something that God never intended us to be. Evil is always hunting, and we saw that last week. And then finally, God is faithful even when we are not. God is always maintaining a remnant of people that he is going to work through to ensure that his plan will not fail. And it was these four young men. This morning, when we come to verses 8 to 21 of chapter 1, we see an exile survival guide before we talk about this exile survival guide a survival guide for those in exile let me just say a couple of things by way of trying to connect it to where we are in our contemporary setting i would say this and you may disagree with me but i believe that prosperity is the enemy of revival prosperity is the enemy of revival Prosperity is the enemy of spirituality. Prosperity is the enemy of godliness. Prosperity is the enemy of the mission of God. Whenever we find ourselves in a season of prosperity, it always seems to move us away from God. Whenever we find ourselves in a season of prosperity, it always seems to move us away from relationship with God and his purposes and toward the world. It gives us the illusion that this is heaven. When things are going good, when everything's going my way, pause, time out, stop. Don't go any further. Let's stay here. Things are going my way. Life is like I want it. I can do what I want to do. I can have what I want to have. And life is good. We forget about God in those moments. Counter to that reality is that adversity that we call exile. And quite frankly, folks, exile can be the greatest thing that ever happens to us if it brings us back into our relationship with Almighty God. In other words, what we need to understand as we go through Daniel is that our biggest problem is not exile. Our biggest problem is not going to be when some foreign power takes us over. Our biggest problem is not going to be when things don't go the way we want them to go November politically and things aren't shifted the way or stay the way that we want them to stay. That's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not inflation. Our biggest problem is not being uprooted from where we are comfortable and the power and control that we have in our lives here in America. Our biggest problem is not exile. Our biggest problem is being separated from God. That's our biggest problem. As we look at the big picture of Daniel, again... The, the book is being given to us to teach us that God is sovereign. God is in control. He's in control of everything. And by divine design, he is not going to fail. There is a glorious plan. And let me tell you this. God is in control and his glorious plan is absolutely unstoppable. He's in control of human history. He's in control of the kings of the earth, whether they be from Israel or Babylon or from Greece as we get into chapter 7 or the other kingdoms in the future. And he is in control of the worst of circumstances. Did you hear me? He is in control of human history. He is in control of the kings of the earth or the presidents or the prime ministers or the kings or the queens. He is in control of all of that. But he is also in control of the very circumstances of your life. And he is even in control of the worst of circumstances in your life. Whether you are exiled, incarcerated... that means to become a eunuch, socially and physically re-engineered, deprogrammed, reprogrammed, having your identity stolen, finding yourself in the fiery furnace or in the bottom of the lion's den. God is in control. Let's begin reading in verse number 8 and then let me say a few things about it this morning and hopefully we can walk away with some things that will help us look at our lives differently and look at our relationship with God differently. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved, so they find themselves... Daniel, we go back to verse six, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah and the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. We talked about that last week, but here we come chapter eight or chapter one, verse eight, but Daniel resolved, Daniel purposed that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked, he requested the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Listen to this, verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor. Go back up to chapter 1 and verse 2. And the Lord gave, right? And the Lord gave, God's in control, God is giving. And God gave Daniel favor, if you go to chapter 1 and verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them, the book of Daniel is not about Daniel's faithfulness, it's about God's faithfulness let us not forget that and god gave daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs resolve resolve and fa- resolve and and uh, request are pointless apart from god giving don't miss that this text is not saying all you need is resolve and and all you need is to stand up no that's not what the text is saying Nothing happened until God gave. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, listen to this. I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Nebuchadnezzar himself Determined what they would eat, what they would drink. He sent a list. He signed his name at the bottom. And if anybody dared defy what Nebuchadnezzar said, you were in deep trouble. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. I don't know what those vegetables were. And maybe you do, or maybe you don't, or maybe you're speculating. Uh, me and my wife were riding along yesterday and she said is that ragweed and I said I don't know I don't know what ragweed looks like but it looked like the grass that had been growing in my yard when I owned a house for several years and so I guess it was ragweed we passed by some other stuff that was covering the pine trees and all the foliage and it was kudzu I don't know if Daniel ate ragweed I don't know if he ate kudzu I don't know if he ate fried okra I don't know what he ate I don't know that it's important, but you can go do research on all that so that you can do the Daniel diet if you want to. They just wanted to eat something besides what the king was serving. And they wanted to drink something besides what the king was serving. Verse 13, Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days... It was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Verse 17. And for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Don't think if you eat vegetables that these are the things that you're going to have. God is giving, again, verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters That were in his kingdom And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus Giving us some historical context And some idea of the age of Daniel He was uh, was there for quite uh, some time Quite a few decades What do we get out of this? Uh, Number one um, Daniel's resolve in the face of temptation We see that in verse number eight Let me talk about Daniel's resolve In the face of temptation for just a minute First of all, Daniel had just traveled um, uh, eight or nine hundred miles from Jerusalem to um, Babylon through the desert. They no doubt were thirsty. They no doubt were hungry. They were disconnected from everything and everyone, and that disconnection from their origins would last for the rest of their life. They were at the mercy of, of a foreign enemy they were in a foreign land and they were the oppressed and the people that they lived around were the oppressors And no doubt, and I say that this is Daniel's resolve in the face of temptation because no doubt Daniel's strength of resolve had to be in the face of temptation that faced him and everyone else there to comply with the rules of the king. And the temptation would be this, all is lost. Why should I trust a God who would put me through this, right? Right? So here's this temptation, but at the center of the temptation, and we see it over and over and over again, is this thing called food. The food was not about the menu. Don't get lost in the menu. It was about the meaning. You see, to eat a meal was symbolic of a greater truth. When you sat down and ate a meal that was served by the king, or you sat down and ate a meal with anyone, it was a commitment to fellowship. It was a commitment to unity, it was a commitment to cooperation, it was a commitment to have your identities merged. That's what it means. That's why these meals are so important. That's why we have a meal here. It's it's symbolic, it's not about the bread and the, the, the juice. Uh, we, we get in all kinds of things. Does it have to be unleavened bread? Does it have to be real wine? Um, all kinds of discussions. We went to a church in Africa. It would seat about 1,200. Twenty-five people showed up. I remember the first Sunday we went there. We went in, and we're like, oh, praise the Lord. We, it's, it's 12 o'clock, and we've got a pew all to ourselves." Well, church says 12 o'clock on the sign, but it doesn't start at 12 o'clock. And people started showing up. And me and my family were occupying a space on a a pew that was big enough for three people. And all six of us were sitting there because so many other people were on the pew. That's just the way it worked in Kampala. And it came time for communion. And they had carbonated drinks and cake. Did we take communion? Did we do it right? Was God in heaven saying, no! No! Don't, 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 drink that. No, it's got to be real wine. It can't be Welch's. It's got to be unleavened. What are they doing? I, I don't think so. He said, "This do in remembrance of me." Are you remembering me? Are you focused on me? Are you one with me? Are we together? Are we unified? Are we in fellowship? Are we in relationship? Check it out and see what's going on inside of you when you're participating in this. And the thing, same thing's happening with this meal here. It's not, about, it's not about what they got at the farmer's market to feed These people, it was about the symbolism of it that said you are eating with them and you are now saying that you are complicit with them and you are being connected to somehow their God. There is this temptation that centers around food and at the center of the temptation of Adam and Eve, there was food, if you will, a meal, if you will, prepared by Satan, complete with temptation and disconnection and reorientation. And he begins by saying, You need to doubt God. God can't be trusted. That's what Daniel would have been succumbing to in that moment. God isn't really all that you think he is. He really isn't caring for you well. What he's giving you isn't the best that he has. There is more to what can be had than what God is giving you. And uh, I'm here to make it available to you. That's what happened in the garden. Basically, stop settling for what God is giving you and take what I am offering you. And so Adam and Eve dined with the devil and didn't invite God and ended up in exile instead of Eden. The same temptation was being offered to Daniel. Daniel, come eat this meal. Come identify with something other than What you know you have been set apart for. The same temptation, by the way, was offered to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. If you are the son of God, and I know that you're starving to death after 40 days in the desert, after 40 days of fasting, if you are the son of God, why don't you prove it by turning the stone into bread? Jesus said, for man shall not live by bread alone. I am not entering into fellowship with you, Satan. So there is this resolve. There is, is this purpose that... Daniel has the word resolve means to put to place to set it means to control Daniel said I'm gonna control these things spiritually related to my life moving forward I belong to God I've been set aside I've been sanctified I have this guiding identity that dictates how I live my life and I will be his and I will live for his purpose and for his glory to live apart from God is death to live apart from God is death. And Daniel is saying, I choose life. I will not go the way of Adam. I will not partner with or come under the influence of another. I will resolve to live out my God-given identity. And so we see Daniel's resolve in the face of temptation. Secondly, we see Daniel's risky request. And it's there again in verse number 8. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile Himself, He asked he requested he clearly stated his desire and it seems like from the text that there was at least some explanation. I want to be clear. Daniel didn't enter into pagansville making demands in the name of his God. Daniel didn't enter into Pagansville, You put his fist, just angry and bitter, saying, this is the way it's going to be. He went to the chief eunuch, the right-hand man of Nebuchadnezzar, who had very specific orders, who had a very specific menu, who had a very specific objective. And this request was for permission to personally overturn the order, the directive, the menu, the provision, the gift of the king himself. It was risky because in Jeremiah 29, we know that Nebuchadnezzar uh, literally roasted his enemies. I don't know that I would have been making too many requests for change of menu from a guy like that. I remember I went to Waffle House one time and I had a question about the way the food was being served. And I thought I was fixing to get body slammed on the table right there by the waitress. Nebuchadnezzar is going to do a whole lot more damage if he finds out somebody doesn't like the way he's doing what he's doing. You can go to Jeremiah chapter 39 and there was an opposing king and he was so filled with hate and rage and wanted to do such damage to this king that he killed his son before him and gouged out his eyes. so That that would be the last thing that he sees. So this is not a guy that you want to cross. Don't miss this key principle for exilic survival. Daniel was gracious. Daniel was kind. Daniel was humble. Daniel was submissive. Daniel was winsome. Daniel... Cared for others, even for his enemies. And Daniel won a hearing and the opportunity to reason with the eunuch. Please hear me, Christians. You say, I belong to God and I resolve. And my resolve means that I am in combat mode. That wasn't true with Daniel. Somebody asked me a question this week. They said, um, "What is your what is one of your weaknesses?" I don't know how often you get asked that question. It's not always an easy question to answer and be honest. You know, right? Uh, I don't sleep enough. I work too hard. Um, you know, my nose runs when I stand up to talk. I, I you know, I don't I don't know. I'm overweight. What what are my weaknesses? I drive better than most people, and that makes me proud. I mean, uh, on and on we could go. What are my weaknesses? And my answer just came to me. It was intensity. Intensity. If you poke me the wrong way, intensity's coming out. It's just coming. Chris Brown's over here smiling. He's he likes to see me get intense. So usually once a week he'll figure out some subject to bring up or some question to ask that's gonna just gonna just gonna bring out and whoa, you know, just. Just bring out the intensity. Um, just through some conversations that I had, it's it's my survival mechanism. You you just poke me the wrong way, you push me the wrong way, I go to fight or flight, and fight is is intensity. I I, I was walking out of the parking lot the other morning as the sun was coming up and. And I'm just like any movement any any drones flying over, 3, 2, anything coming up from the earth. I'm just ready. Anybody coming to my car, I'm just this it's this, this, this intensity that I sleep with, that I wake up with, but then you just you just poke it, you hit the button, and it comes out. And quite frankly, it's exhausting. And it is an intensity for what's right, and it's an intensity for what's true. And it's an intensity for what I believe in and what I stand for. And it's an intensity for my team, for football, for justice, for politics. I'll come home sometimes and Mandy says, you've been listening to talk radio again, haven't you? (laughs) I haven't had to do that since Rush died. God bless him. It's an intensity for theology. It's an intensity that is competitive. I I have to win. I have to be right. some of the best preaching that you think you've ever heard was probably more intensity than it was truth. I love to hear John Piper, but I've read a bunch of his sermons, and I'm like, how in the world did he get this sermonic structure out of that text? He is all over the place. But when John Piper gets on a roll, you're just like, I want to go to the mission field. Right? I just want to do something. I don't remember much of what he said, but I remember his intensity. I'm not saying that's r- wrong, but uh, most of us don't listen to content. We are influenced by intensity, and then we think, if you love God, you're going to be intense. Paul Washer's intense. Intense. He's always, man, he's always fixing something. He's always getting some, something right. He's, uh, do I disagree with what he says? No, I'm not disagreeing with what he says. I'm just, and I'm not disagreeing with his intensity. I'm just saying m- most of you don't know what he said. You just know he was intense about it. Right? There, there is just th- this, this formula of intensity that we use, that we think we need to bring when we are right. Daniel was right. And he was in the worst of places. And he was the most humble of individuals. Intensity can be the antithesis to humility if we're not self aware. Realize that many times our intensity is coming from a place of fear and pride and not faith. And if you don't want to own that, I speak for myself. Intensity is repelling. It is damaging. My wife's had to live with it. And she's put up with it for 42 years. My kids have had to live with it. Everything is so serious and there's such intensity. You say, why are you telling us that? Maybe you're just starting out, and maybe you are just intense, and I'm calling on you to to stop and look at Daniel and look at the situation that he's in and consider that humility and care and concern and love might be a better way than walking around with everything switched on go and just waiting for a reason to dump it out on everybody. I think of Stephen. <laughs> Keith mentioned Stephen this morning and Stephen's in Acts 7 being stoned. I, 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 hey, bro, throw a rock at me. You're getting one back and it's probably going to be bigger. I'm going to be like... Phew, I mean, I mean, it's on, it's on. Stephen, full of the spirit, had the face of an angel. And he said, Father, forgive these angry, intense, bitter, hateful people for what they are doing. Daniel could be gracious in a world of pagans because he was confident that God put him there. He didn't have to go out with intensity and fight everybody. Thirdly, Daniel receives. So so Daniel's resolve, Daniel's risky request... And it was graciousness and humility and kindness and and love. But then thirdly, Daniel receives verse 9. We see it, and we see it three times in chapter 1. And the Lord gave favor and compassion. God gave. God gives. The word give means the same thing pretty much that resolve means it means to put it means to set it means that god is the one who is in control daniel said i resolve i will be in control but then the text says god gave and gave and when god gives god it means god is in control god is exerting his control in this circumstance we see in John, genesis 129 the same word give is used but we also see it in genesis 316 where eve is is giving to adam this Fruit, God gives. Think about this. When we are in control, we take. When we are in control, we manipulate. When we are in control, we dominate. Relationally, sexually, that's called abuse. Monetarily, that's called greed. Materially, that's called acquisition. More and more and more. When we, listen, when we are in control, we take. Go to Genesis 3. God has been giving everything up to this point. But all of a sudden now, as we get into Genesis 3 and the fall and Satan says, Hey, look, here is this. Instead of receiving all that God has given, which is enough, Eve takes the fruit. From there we go to Genesis 4 and Cain takes Abel's life. We in our fallenness are takers. We're takers. But when God is in control, we are receivers. The great temptation, the great offering of Satan—what is it? It is to be in control. When whoever is in control is the God. The, if you, hey, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be set free from God. You're going to be like God. What is the benefit of being like God? The benefit of being like God is you get to decide what is good and evil. You get to be in control. There is nobody over you telling you what is good and evil. You're God. The offering of the fall was to be like God, and we try to be like God. We take. We try, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we die. The only way to life, listen to me, the only way to even come to Christ is not to take but to receive. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. It's not taking, it is Receiving, it is surrender, and the essence of salvation is to receive what he has done, not to do it ourselves, not to control our ultimate outcome ourselves. We were created to receive, and it is our fallen nature that takes And you can resolve all that you want and you can request all that you want, but until God gives and until you receive, all that we do falls on deaf ears because God is not interested in having a book in the Bible about you or me that talks about how great we are, but that talks about how great he is because he is the giver and we are the receivers. And life is so much better when we're receiving and not taking. so this is not about daniel's resolve this is not about daniel's request it's about god's power and god's grace and god's glory and god's purpose god gave them the circumstances verse 2 god gave the favor and compassion to a pay to and through a pagan politician verse 8 and god gave six, or verse 9 and god gave success when everything seemed like a failure and we see and we've seen it and we read it There's much that probably could be said, but we're not going to say it this morning. In verses 17 to 21, we see the results. We see the results when God gives. We see what God can do in and through his people when they are receiving what he is giving, when they are responding appropriately in the culture that they walk into. I'd like to take just a minute to answer this question. What can we take away from this exile survival guide this morning? Number one. The only way to survive in exile is to receive what God has given. The only way to to survive in exile is to receive what God has given. Resolve to graciously receive what God has graciously given. Please listen carefully. What has God given you? What has God given you? He has given you the circumstances that you have been in your whole life. And much of that has been challenging and painful. And, disappointing. and for most of us, it hasn't gone as we planned. Have we made bad decisions? Have we made bad choices? Have we sinned? Have we taken? Have we found ourselves in exile? Yes, we have. But understand that at the beginning of it all, in verse 2, is that God is giving. God is in control. The only way to survive in exile is to receive what God Given. Many of us live with regret. Regret for things that we've done, regret for things that we've said, regret for things that have happened to us, regret for things that other people have done to us. Can I I challenge you this morning and say, would you look at all that has happened to you that you deeply regret, that you wish that it had never happened, that someone did to you or that you did to someone else? Could you stop for a minute and consider that God may be in complete control of all of that? And could you stop for a minute and say, I am going to receive what he has given to me. we come in today we're 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 angry we're bitter we're defensive right we got all this stuff churning inside of us. We're we're filled with stress. We're filled with anxiety. And what what is going on inside of me? There are all these things that have happened to me, and I don't know where to put them, and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm going to tell you that you're not going to fix them, and you're not going to resolve them, and you're not going to erase them, and you're not going to make them go away. But what you can do is you can say that there is this God who is sovereign and in control, and he gives, and he has given them to me, and I'm going to receive them. We don't don't have to walk around like this on the inside all of the time and we don't have to walk around putting on these masks to cover up what we think people see when they look at us. We can receive what he has given and we can move forward with great peace and confidence that he is in complete control and he cares deeply for me and for you. And he is going to take what... He has given you and that you have received and he is ultimately going to use it to bring great glory to himself and to to through your life propel the good news of the gospel to those around you so that fruit may abound as you walk through life. Resolve to trust God with all that you've been through. With all that you're going through. With all that you will go through. Stop regretting. Stop image projecting. Stop feeling inferior and listening to the constant accusations of the enemy. Resolve to receive from a sovereign God. Not only what he has given. But receive the peace that that he knows what he is doing. And he has some reason for it. The only way to survive in exile is to rest in the fact that God is in control. Trust him. Be grateful. Rest. Secondly, by way of conclusion, the only way to survive in exile is to receive what God has given. Secondly, respond with humility. Respond with humility. Babylon knows knows what anger looks like. Babylon knows what frustration looks like. Babylon knows what intensity looks looks like. Babylon knows what bitterness looks like. Babylon knows what hatred looks like. What Babylon doesn't know is what humility looks like. Here here is a, a eunuch that's been hanging out with the baddest dude on the planet. Who's probably seen everything, who's probably done everything who's probably been everywhere, who's probably experienced everything, who's probably so hardened in his heart and, and and with this cerebral fixation that he's a sociopath and he probably couldn't be moved by anything. But all of a sudden, here is a man walking up to him and reasoning with him and talking with him and a kindness and an energy is coming out of him that literally disarms this man who has seen everything, who has done everything, who has heard everything. Respond with humility. Respond with compassion. Be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit flow out of you into Babylon as a blessing from God. So here is Daniel blessing others. So often to be a Christian in exile in Babylon is to be angry and disgusted and complaining and stank-faced and critical and fault-finding, and self-righteous, respond with humility, respond with grace, respond with respect, respond with kindness, respond with deference to the worst of people in the worst of times. And this shows up not only in in the words that you speak, but it shows up in our countenance i'm listen look in the mirror sometime and i know as we get older i I, I realize i I, sometimes i wake up in the morning and and i walk in the bathroom and i'm like somebody broke in last night and then i realize it was me like what in the world happened to my face right i don't know why my wife stays i don't look nothing like the man she married and the muscles in our face, they relax, and we don't exercise them enough, and we don't smile enough, and we don't laugh enough, and we're not joyful. But uh, uh, sometimes just look in the mirror and wonder how you would feel if God looked at you like you look at everybody else. Ah, you say, oh, that doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. Our countenance matters because God's countenance matters. And how we navigate relationally and how we intersect relationally is seen in our body language, is seen in our attitude, is heard in our tone of voice, is experienced in our energy and in our human spirit and here is a man by the grace of God for the glory of God by the power of God who has something in him that says I'm here and I'm going to represent the king my king well while there is a king in Babylon there is a king in heaven and he is my king and I would imagine every time the eunuch talked about his king Daniel was thinking about his king and it was Daniel's king that caused him to enter into those circumstances and respond in a completely different way the exile study guide would tell us that we must be receivers from god the exile study guide tells us we must respond with humility but thirdly the exile study guide would tell us that we need to remain close to the family this is what we're seeing in this text. He's already mentioned. He's already mentioned these four guys. There's Daniel, and there's Hananiah, and there's Mishael, and there's Azariah. And there's Daniel, and there's Hananiah. And there's Mishael, and there's Azariah. And there's Daniel, and there's Hananiah. And there's Mishael, and there's Azariah. And they're always together, and they're never separate. It is a precursor to biblical community. It is a precursor to family Remain close to the family, remain close to the father, remain close to our brothers and our sisters. We are so quick to let a wedge be driven between us. We're so quick to let a a speck be dropped in and become the focal point. Remain close to the family. Remain close to the father. Remain close to your brothers. Remain close to your sisters. Exile is not your biggest problem. Babylon is not your biggest problem. Our biggest problem is being separated from God. Our biggest problem is being separated from the family of God. And if you have to go into exile, find him. And if you go into exile and you find him, finding him is worth the exile. Satan's easiest ploy is separation. His longing is for our isolation and our divisiveness. It's unbelievable how many people in the church are so divisive, disruptive, fault-finding, and critical. I would challenge you, stay in the family. The mention of these four men over and over is no accident. This is not just some literary device God used them as one and blessed them as one and challenged them as one and used them to encourage each other as one. And that is the point of the enemy's attack. The enemy is going to attack our unity. The enemy is going to attack our relationships. He's going to attack our relationship with the Father. He did it in Genesis 3. And as soon as they they had this fracture and they're running and they're hiding from God, the next time they convene relationally, they are, are at each other's throat. And the enemy has won a great victory. This is his point of attack. Remain close To the family. It is our unity, our relational unity that is beautiful, that is supernatural, that is powerful, and that is absolutely necessary if we're going to survive in exile. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 21. If you will, turn to Hebrews real quick, and I'm going to just share this verse as it relates to communion. Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to think about what our Lord did. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12. <clears throat> so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. Now, why did Jesus suffer outside the gate? Jesus suffered outside the gate because whenever anyone was unclean, they were taken outside the gate. They were not allowed inside the of the community. The text is telling us that none of us deserves to be inside the gate. All of us are unclean. All of us are in sin. But the good news of the gospel is this that Jesus lived the life we could not live, perfectly righteous, fulfilled the righteous requirements of a holy God, right? Jesus not only lived the life we could not live, but he died the death that we deserve to die. And 1 Corinthians says, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin and bore it when he died and paid our sin debt. And our place for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Jesus Christ imputed to us, gave us, said, you are perfectly righteous. He went outside the camp and bore Our sickness, our disease, our sin, so that we could go inside the camp and be perfectly holy. Jesus Christ was exiled for us so that we could be in relationship to the Father. And that's what you were created for in relationship to the Father. So Jesus lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die, and Jesus rose victorious over an enemy we could not defeat. Sin has forevermore been defeated, and you can live in fellowship with God. You do not have to live in exile no matter what your circumstances are, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, when we lay this bread out here and this juice out here, the bread represents his body, the juice represents his blood, and it is us saying, I believe that. I believe that. It is us saying, No, it is not my righteousness. No, it is not my performance. No, it is not my goodness. I'm lost. I'm outside the camp. But it is his goodness, it is his righteousness, it is his death. It is his life. It is his resurrection. And I'm trusting him, number one. But number two, I don't want to sit down with Satan in the Garden of Eden and have a meal with him. And I don't want to sit down with Nebuchadnezzar and have a meal with him. I want to sit down with Jesus and have a meal with him. This is the one that I'm connected to. This is the one that I identify with. And when we partake in this simple meal, that is what we proclaim Until Christ comes back. And if that is what your heart proclaims today, then I invite you to come this morning. Father, bless us as we enjoy and experience our love relationship with you. We were running from you. We were hiding from you. And you were calling out, where are you? Where are you? You've drawn us to yourself, and you sent your only begotten son. You have demonstrated a love like no other. You've given us your spirit. We know now until you come back, we are in exile. And I pray, almighty God, that we would rest in the work that you have done, that we would rest in your sovereignty. I pray that we would receive what you've you've given us. And I pray that we would go out into Babylon today with a spirit of care and compassion and humility. I pray we could look at those that hate us and look at those that despise us and look at those that would even throw us in the lion's den and cry out like Daniel did, O King, live forever. What kindness. I pray that that would be the reputation of this body of believers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.